Amen. Take your Bible, please, and go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 43. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, look for that on your digital device there, or follow along with us on the screen. We've been talking about trusting God. The Lord has been speaking to us along this vein for a couple of weeks now. And I believe He's drawing us each individually and corporately to put our trust in Him, perhaps more fully than you have before. And today we're going to talk about trusting God and other people. I think some people struggle with trusting God, others struggle with trusting others. And there is a freedom that comes when you trust God that enables you to trust others. And so I want us to hear what God's word would say to us this morning. We're reading out of the 43rd chapter of Genesis, which is right in the middle of the story of Joseph in Egypt. Joseph is now the ruler of Egypt. A famine has come upon the land. And there is a great scarcity. And so, because of the wisdom that God gave Joseph, the nation of Israel survives. And not only survives, but becomes the storehouse for the nations. When the family of Israel, the family of Jacob, finds out there is food in Egypt, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to buy bread. They come back with bread... But Joseph, who gave them the bread, has kept their brother Simeon. And so now we come to chapter 43. The Bible tells us that they're running out of bread. Now the famine was severe in the land, so it came about when they had finished eating the grain, which they had bought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back and buy a little food. Judah spoke to him. However, saying, the man solemnly warned us, you shall not show your face unless your brother is with you. Now go down with me to verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best produce of the land in your bags. Carry down to the man as a present, a little balm, a little honey, Aromatic gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. And take your brother also and arise, return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of man, so that he will release to you your brother And Benjamin, and as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, so be it. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning, for it is life to our spirit. I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of the living God. I ask you to speak specifically to every one of our hearts in the way that is necessary and individual to each need. We ask you to be glorified in the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been between a rock and a hard place? When we begin chapter 43 
of Genesis, Jacob is holding his breath. Joseph, his son, is the ruler of Egypt, and he doesn't know that. He sends his brothers, or pardon, he sends his sons to get bread. They come back with bread, but Simeon is kept in prison in Egypt. Simeon was one of the brothers who was part of the treachery against Joseph, whereby they had sold him into slavery. And now they have taken the bread or the grain that they bought in Egypt, and they've gotten home, and they have rationed it out to get uh, as much out of it as possible. But finally, they're running out. They've run out of food. They've run out of bread. They've run out of options. And Jacob's been holding his breath because maybe he thought, well, maybe it'll rain soon. Maybe the crops will grow soon. Maybe we'll have a deliverance from another way. Uh, I can't go back to Joseph. I can't go back to Egypt. Because the ruler of Egypt had said to the brothers when they came to ask him for food, he said to them, do you have any more brothers? And they said, yes, we have a little brother named Benjamin. And so he said, don't come back here. Don't show your face again in Egypt if you don't bring your little brother. When they told Jacob about this, they said, the the requirement for us to get more food is to bring Benjamin with us. Jacob said, no way, Jose, I'm not going to give you my son. I already lost Joseph. I have now lost Simeon and I'm not going to lose Benjamin. Benjamin was the baby son of Israel. He was the, the son who had died in the childbirth of Rachel. This boy was precious to him. He was the father's heart and he was not going to let him go and now uh, he has been holding his breath and finally they are out of food and they are out of time and they are out of options he's got to go back into Egypt he's got to get help but the only way to get help is to make this trade to send Benjamin and to try to deliver Simeon as a result that means he's going to have to trade his good son for a violent son A son that really isn't that good at all. This is an interesting picture for us because what Jacob is considering and having to to deal with the, the risk involved in this trade is actually and precisely what God did when he sent Jesus to the cross. God gave us his good son so that he might redeem the the broken and sinful sons of Adam. And so you and I today have a savior because God sent forth his son in order to rescue us and to deliver us. And now Jacob is making that decision and this is not only a trade that is very difficult for him to make, but it is also an incredible risk because His sons are not really such men of such good character. When you look at the lives of Jacob's sons, you discover that Reuben had stolen one of Jacob's wives. Simeon and Levi had slaughtered the men at Shechem through deception. Judah had an an issue of deception with Tamar. And Joseph, when he was uh, lost, when he disappeared was uh, going to check on his brothers. And so in the back of Jacob's mind is this issue that I have that I have sent out Jacob, Joseph, and uh, he was going to check on his brothers and he never came home. I don't know if I can trust these boys to handle 
my baby boy. I don't know if I can trust these, these men, these sons of mine with my most valued and precious possession. Hanging on the line is the little tribe of Jacob, about 70 people now. And Jacob must decide whether he's going to make a decision, whether he's going to take a risk, whether he's going to make a trade, or whether he is going to allow his family to starve to death. And the Bible tells us that ultimately Jacob makes a decision to trust God. He makes a decision that uh, that he has to leave this in God's hands and take the steps that are available to him. And when he does this, we see three things that happen in his life. And I'm going to share those with you this morning because I believe that uh, these three things will happen in your life and my life over and over again when we make that crucial decision to trust God. When we take that step of saying, God is going to have to handle this. God is going to have to be in charge of this. I don't have any more options. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're in between the rock and the hard place. Maybe you have been like Jacob holding your breath for another option. For another solution. Maybe you're thinking something will come up. Something will come along to make it so that I don't have to take this step. Or so that I don't have to cross this bridge. And I think about Jacob and I think maybe maybe he thought, well, God could just multiply the bread. How many of you think God could have multiplied the bread? Of course God could have multiplied the bread. But he didn't. God could have made it rain and he could have brought up crops out of the ground to feed Jacob. How many of you believe God could have done that? How many of you were praying for rain last week? Boy, didn't we get some rain. Could God do that? He could, but he didn't. And the reason he didn't was because if he had sent multiplication to Jacob's barrel, Jacob would have never got into Egypt. And it was God's way of deliverance for the family of Jacob to go into Egypt where they would grow into a nation. God had told Abraham, your children are going to be in Egypt and they're going to be there for 400 years. And after they are there for 400 years, I will bring them out with great miracles and with great possessions. The only way forward was this difficult bridge. He could not avoid it. He could not go around it. It was God's purpose and will for his life. And hanging on the line was the entire messianic plan of God's deliverance. There are days when we think God will do it this way or that. And ultimately you have to come to the conclusion about a particular matter or situation. I'm going to have to cross this bridge. There are no other ways. There are no other solutions. And God will allow that in our life. He will allow a bottleneck in our life so that you and I can come to the place where we are positioned to receive what He has planned and promised and prophesied over our life. Jacob came to that place. And we read in verse 11 that he he, uh, has said, It must be so. 
And when he makes the decision to trust God, these three things happen. First of all, what happens in his life is that he has a breakthrough of generosity. In a moment, Jacob goes from scarcity to generosity. Everyone say generosity. At the beginning of the chapter, they're running out of bread. They're afraid. They are hungry. And right there in the middle of the chapter, there's a breakout of generosity in the life of Jacob. Why? What, what happened? What changed? Jacob put his trust in God. And the moment he puts his trust in God, he starts thinking differently. He starts evaluating things differently. And he starts to make decisions based on God and God's resources instead of Jacob and Jacob's resources. Look at what he does. He says, take the best fruit of the land. And he says, take balm. That's like uh, 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 creams or uh, lotions. Take balm. Take honey. Take spices. Take myrrh. Take nuts and almonds. And take double the money. Right now we are reading a list of things that Jacob is going to send as a gift, as a present to the ruler of Egypt. But what I want you to see in that is that he goes from thinking I have nothing to realizing I have a whole lot more than I thought I had. And listen, this will happen in your life. When you take a step to trust God, God will reveal to you the things that are in your life, the resources that are in your life that you didn't know that you had. Here's what happens. When you start trusting God, you start behaving like God's children. Up until now, Jacob is thinking about what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to get out of this situation? The moment he trusts God, he starts thinking about what's God going to do? How's God going to deliver me? And he begins to realize I'm a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, I have the resources that I need to do the will of God. You and I will come to that place every time we seek to trust God. We'll start to realize, wait a minute, I'm not a victim. I'm a child of God. Wait a minute, I'm not at the mercy of my circumstances. I'm a child of God. Wait a minute, I'm not in a trap. I'm a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, then I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The child of God knows that he has options. Everyone say, I have options. The child of God knows that he has resources. Everyone say, I have resources. You see, so long as you're trusting in yourself, you can't see the options and you can't see the resources. But the moment you start trusting God, the options become available. They become obvious to you. The resources become real to you. And this is what happens in in Jacob's life. Something switched in his mind and he realized, okay, I'm going to send a gift to a prince. But guess what? I'm a prince too. Because God had told him, you are a prince with God. That's what Israel means. Prince with God. And he started acting like who he was. Listen, I have a word of encouragement for you this morning. It's time to start behaving like a child of God. It's time to start speaking like a child of God. It's time to start praying like a child of God. Come on, Kingsway. You have the resources of heaven at your disposal. And now look at this, because this is a beautiful thing. He is preparing a gift for the ruler of Egypt. And he doesn't know that the gift is for his son. Because Joseph is the ruler of Egypt. 
Now he thinks Joseph is dead. He's thought Joseph's been dead for about 13 years. But he is right now preparing a gift for his son. Can I just tell you that when you begin to walk as a child of God, God will make it so that the steps you take become a blessing in the lives of your generations. So that your children will eat the fruit that you have prepared. Come on somebody. There is a generational blessing that follows the children of God. The Bible said that God will remember a curse on a family for four generations. But a blessing he'll remember for a thousand generations. Come on somebody. You said, oh it was good luck. No, it wasn't luck. It's the blessing of God on your family. It's the blessing of God on your life. Come on. And you are a child of God. And when you realize that, you begin to realize, you know what? I can be more generous than I have been. I can be more generous than I am because my God has eternal and unending resources by which to accomplish his work in my life. Here's the next thing that happens in his life. He begins to trust people. Now, a lot of people don't have any problem trusting God, but they have a lot of problems with trusting people. And when you are not able to trust people, here's what happens. You become incarcerated. Because you become the only person you can trust. And the problem with that is that you can't even trust you. The Bible says that your heart, my heart, is desperately wicked. There's really only one place upon which we can put total and complete trust, and that is God. Say amen, somebody. I'll try it again. There's only one place where you can put total and complete trust, and that is God. There's no dispute about that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to trust in man. The Bible always tells you to trust in God. But here's the thing. When you start trusting God, you just naturally start trusting people. Those who are walking in trust with God begin to have, first of all, a a, a perspective where they can see the best in others. There's some, sometimes where we can be, uh, we can be distrustful and the first thing we see in other people is the negative. The first thing we see is how they failed in the past and how they're gonna fail in the future and how they've never been able to get it right and how they are not gonna amount to anything. And if you have a perspective that always sees the worst in other people, always expects the worst in other people, you don't have, you don't have really a real confidence in God because trust in God generates in the believer a confidence that God is doing a good work in other people's lives. And when you start walking in trust in God, you start to believe the best in other people. What does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 7. It says love believes all things. And love hopes all things. When the love of God is operating in your life, you will have a natural tendency toward believing the best in other people. And I want to encourage you to cultivate that because God believed the best in you. I said God believed the best in you. That's the example that we have. That God looked at us in our wreckage, our ruin, and our sin. And he said, you know what? I've got better plans for this life. I'm going to bring him up. I'm going to bring him out. And I'm going to do something great in his life. And didn't God do it? Come on, somebody. Didn't God do it in your life? 
And if he did it in your life, won't he do it in someone else's life? No, pastor, you don't know my someone else. I can trust God. God is good. God is just. God is holy. But my husband, my wife, my children, I'm supposed to give them the keys to my car? But love believes all things. Love sees the possibility of what God can do in that life. And who knows that by giving that person your trust, by giving that person your love, by believing in them, they might actually start to believe in themselves and start to believe in the God that you preach and proclaim so that they can rise up to become the person that God intended for them to be. When you start trusting God, you begin to believe in other people. But you also begin to believe in the power of redemption. I don't know about you, but I believe in the power of redemption. Let me put it another way. I believe that God can change people. That was about half as many amens as I should get in here because we've all been changed by God. I said, I believe that God can change people. Did he change you? God can take a, 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 a thief and make him honest. God can make a liar and, and make him a truth speaker. God can take someone who is lazy and make him a hard worker. Come on. God can change people. God is in the change business. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature and old things have passed away and behold all things have become new. And if you try to change yourself, you'll fail. And if you try to change people, you'll fail. But if you let God do the work, God will change a life, a heart. The Bible says he will take a heart of stone and convert it into a heart of flesh. God can take a dead end and make it a doorway. God can take someone who has failed and made a mess of their life and make them successful and make them prosperous. And when you look at them today, you have no idea what they've been through, no idea what they were before because of the changing, redemptive power of the God that we serve. Come on, somebody. This is the gospel. These, these sons of Jacob had sold their brother. Can God change someone like that? Now, if you read chapter 43, you hear Judah, who was one of the people that led in this process of selling Joseph. And he says to Jacob, he says, send Benjamin with me and I will be responsible to you for him. And I will give myself as a ransom for him. He's saying, he's saying, I will lay down my life for Benjamin. Something has changed in Judah. And, and now the man who was willing to once sacrifice his brother is now ready to sacrifice himself. Come on, don't tell me God can't change people. Don't tell me that God can't save, that God can't deliver, that God can't take something that's broken and make it right. You and I have to believe that about people because it's what God has done in us. It is the very essence of the gospel. Here's the other thing it's going to require. It's going to require forgiveness. To trust other people will require forgiveness. You see, Jacob had to make a decision to forgive his sons. 
to let go of the past, to make, to make things right and to move on. Why? Because if he doesn't forgive, then he is trapped by fear, he's trapped by hunger, and he's trapped by death. He's got to get free. And the only way to get free is to make that decision to forgive. Look, I don't know who's hurt you. I don't know what they did to you, what they said about you, where they were when they said it or, or, or anything like that. But I know this, that so long as you hold a grudge against them, so long as you hold them captive to your sentence of guilt, you will never be free. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And Jacob has... Not just at this moment, but obviously at many moments in his life, he's made a decision to forgive. Do you realize that forgiveness is an essential part of every relationship? Forgiveness is an essential part of marriage. It's an essential part of raising children. It's an essential part of your relationship with your parents. It's an essential part of your work relationships. If you are ready and willing to forgive, you are going to be able to move along along a lot faster. And here's the fact. Offenses are going to come. The Bible says offenses must come. They cannot be avoided. Somebody's going to burn the tortilla someday. Somebody's going to forget to buy the beans. Somebody is going to leave out the, the ingredient that makes the difference. Somebody's going to offend you with their words. Somebody is going to put a dent in your fender someday. You say, I, I don't receive that, Pastor. I don't receive that. Offenses are going to come. And if you cultivate a heart of forgiveness that says, I let it go as quickly as possible. I put it under the blood as quickly as possible. You are on the path to freedom. You are able to live a life that is free from the yokes and the tethers that come when you try to hold someone else accountable instead of leaving it to God. And that's the reality, that forgiveness requires you to trust God. When you start trusting God, forgiveness will be easy. When you trust God, seeing the best in others is easy because you start to realize that the source of your life is not that person. The source of your happiness is not that person. The source is God. And you say, Pastor, I can't trust my spouse. Did you ask God for that spouse? I heard you at the altar that day. Lord, give me a husband or I'll die. Did you ask God for that spouse? And guess what? God's not asking you to trust the spouse. He's asking you to trust him. Because he's the one that gave you that spouse. He's the one that gave you those children. He's the one that gave you that, that, that job. Come on. you got to learn to trust him. And when you trust him, trusting people will become a natural part of walking with him. Now here's the third thing that happens. He started trusting God. He has, an exp- he has a, a, a breakthrough in generosity. He's, he's now willing to trust his sons. And he says, all right, I'm going to send Benjamin with you. And then the third thing that happens, we see there in verse 14. And he has an explosion of faith. All of a sudden, faith rises up in his spirit. How many of you need an explosion of faith? 
It's what happens when you get in the spirit after you've been gloomy and doomy and you've been thinking about, I'm not going to make it and this is the end and I better plan my funeral and this is, uh, this is as far as I'm going to go and I'm going to lose this job. But then the moment you step into the spirit and you start acting like a child of God and then faith rises up in you and things start to change. My prayer is for you this morning that you will have an explosion of faith. I pray that you will realize who you are as a child of God and that faith will rise up in your spirit. That's what happens when you come and hear the word. The Bible said that faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. When the word of God gets into your inner man, that word blows up inside of you. And all of a sudden the impossible becomes easy. And those things that seem like they would never happen, you see them as already done. Why? Because you began to believe God. You begin to trust God. Look at the, the way we see this explosion of faith. And in verse 14, he starts to pray. And he says, may God Almighty, everyone say God Almighty. That word God Almighty is an expression in Hebrew of one of the names of God. The Hebrew name of God that's revealed here is El Shaddai. Y'all remember, ever heard that song, El Shaddai? It was sung in the 80s. Some of you may not remember that. What does this word mean? El Shaddai means the all-sufficient God. When, when Jacob starts to trust God, he has an explosion, a vision in his spirit of what God is and who God is. And he realizes, my God is the all-sufficient God. And El Shaddai literally is a, a word picture which identifies God with the the word picture of a nursing mother. And God says, look, you just look at a nursing mother. There's that baby in her arms. That baby, if, if she doesn't feed him, he won't get fed. If she doesn't clean him or change his diaper, he won't get changed. If she doesn't comfort him and put him to sleep, he won't get comforted and fall asleep. And God says, look at that picture. You're the baby. You're the defenseless one. You're the one who needs to be fed and changed and comforted. And I'm the mother. I'm the, I'm the parent. I'm the one who's going to take care of you. I'm the one who has all that you need. I'm the one that has the resources to take care of you, to protect you, to care for you. And today, I want you to understand that. I want you to see that in your spirit, that you are in God's arms. And that God the Father cares for you with an everlasting love. And that He is protecting you and caring for you and for your children. Come on, somebody. Because He is God Almighty. He is El Shaddai. He is the omnipotent God. The Almighty God. There is no other. There is none greater. There is none with greater resources. He has everything that you need. And He is everything to the believer. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 90 years old and and rest in God's arms. You can be 40 years old and rest in God's arms. And God wants you to rest in His arms this morning. And when you come to trust in him, you start to realize, you know what? God's got this. He's in control. He's in charge. He knows best. I'm not going to do without. And I'm not going to suffer loss. 
Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. He's my caregiver. He's my provider. I'm not going to law. I'm not going to want for anything. I'm not going to lack any good thing in my life. Jacob comes to this reality. God is almighty. Yes, Pharaoh has the bread, but God is almighty. Yes, they have the keys to the storehouse, but God is almighty. Come on, somebody. Maybe you're saying, yes, they have the job I need, but God is almighty. Yes, the doctor said it's cancer, but come on. God is almighty. Come on, you and I serve an almighty, all-sufficient God. And then he starts to pray and he makes a request. Notice his request. His request is very specific. When you begin to walk by faith, you walk in the spirit, you know how to pray. Faith knows how to pray. The Holy Spirit knows how to pray. The Bible said the Holy Spirit prays through us with groanings too deep for words. You don't know what to pray for, but when you get in the spirit, the spirit knows what to pray for. The spirit knows what to ask for. And he starts to pray specifically. And he's praying now with the consciousness of the almighty God. And the first thing he says, he says, may God give you favor before that man. He understood something. He understood that man has authority. That man has power. But I serve the God who can open doors. I serve a God who can give you favor. Who can raise you up in the sight of people. Some of you in here received jobs you didn't even know were available. And you didn't even apply. But God gave you favor. I said God gave you favor. You got a phone call you didn't even know was coming. And they said, we want you to take this job. And it's better hours and better pay. And you said, oh, look at my luck. No, it wasn't luck. It was the favor of the Almighty God. Come on, somebody. You and I serve a God who can open doors. And and Jacob says, may God Almighty give you favor with that man. And then he says, and may he deliver you and Benjamin. May God... Not only give you favor, but he's going to bring my little boy back and he's going to bring my rascal back too. Come on, you want the rascal back too, don't you? Say, no, pastor, he can stay in prison for all I care. No, you have a prodigal. You want him to come home. This man starts praying and he says, you know what? While we're praying, let me just ask God to deliver me and deliver my son too. To save me and my family and my son too. Come on somebody. God is not limited to one request at a time. He can do great things. And so when you start walking in trust and in confidence in God, you start to realize, you know what? God can answer the specific prayers of my heart. He can answer the specific requests of my life. And then he makes this declaration. And he says, all right, you're going to take Benjamin and you're going to go back to Egypt. And if I lose my sons, dot, dot, dot. How would you finish that sentence? How do you finish that sentence? This is not a, this is not a pop quiz. But it's going to come up someday. If I lose my job, if I lose my sons, if I lose this thing I'm trying to preserve, Jacob says, then so be it. Wait, 
How do you get to that place where you can just fall back into the hands of God? He's made a decision to trust God no matter the outcome. That's the same expression that we see all throughout the Bible. You remember Moses' mother? She puts him in a basket. She puts him on the Nile River. And she releases him to the care of God. You remember Esther? She said, I'm going to go before the king uninvited. And if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to do God's will. Same expression we see with the three Hebrews when they stand before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, you either bow or I'll throw you in the fiery furnace. And they said, sir, our God is able to deliver us from the furnace of fire. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow. It's the same expression we read in the book of Job when Job utters those words. And he says, though God slay me, yet shall I trust him. This is no ordinary, simple statement. It is the expression of a heart that has turned around and realized it's all in God's hands. I trust him. If I lose my sons, so be it. We see Jesus having the same decision at the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says that three times he prayed. He went in the first time into the garden and he agonized. And he said, God, Father, he says, Father, if it's, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And we can tell he's not quite done yet because he goes out and he tells the disciples, Wake up, man. Could you watch with me for one hour? Couldn't you pray for an hour? He goes back in the second time and he agonizes again. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he comes back out and he tells the disciples, Wake up, man. You couldn't pray with me even one hour. Watch him pray lest you fall into temptation. Then he goes back in. He agonizes again. Oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And this time we know that he has released it completely to God. Because what does he do next? He goes out and he tells the disciples, keep on sleeping, man. All of a sudden, he doesn't need them to pray. He doesn't need their help because he has found his help in the Lord. Come on, somebody. It's time for you to make a decision to say, God, I trust you. Everybody else can go to bed. I don't need your help. I've got God's help. I've got God's help. I've got God's help. My hope is in the Lord. My trust is in the Lord. My confidence is in God. Psalm 21 verse 7 says the king trusts in the Lord. And through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. 
Let me just remind you this morning, you can trust God. He sent Benjamin and his brothers to Egypt. And in the middle of the famine, Joseph brought them into his house. And he sat them at a feast. And those men ate more than they had eaten in a long time. And then he said, go back home and tell my daddy I'm still alive. And you bring him back here because I want to care for him now. You see, Joseph, if he had not crossed that bridge, he would not have seen his son. He would not have seen the salvation of the Lord. But here is a man who made a decision. I'm going to go with God and leave the outcome to him. And when you do that, you cannot fail. The king's heart will trust in the Lord. And through his loving kindness, he will not be shaken. I stand in front of you this morning to encourage you to trust God. If you're holding your breath, you're waiting for another answer, another solution. Maybe God this morning is saying to you, let it go and put it in my hands. I know what I'm going to do. Only trust me.